Welcome back, everybody. Let's go ahead and begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So welcome to our third talk of our virtual retreat. We've been exploring the idea of the heart as a home. So in the first talk, we sort of analyzed and explored what does it mean? What does the word heart mean? What does the word home mean? And how can we say that the heart is a home? And then earlier, we talked about different difficulties, struggles with fear and perfectionism and shame that make it difficult for us to receive others into our own hearts or to allow ourselves to be received in the homes of other people's hearts. And so realizing all this, you know, let's say that we, we could find healing from all of this, that our hearts would be good, um, that we would be able to allow ourselves to be received or to receive others. The truth is, is that there are many people out there who may not have anyone who can receive them, whose hearts have the capacity or they have the interest in order to make their own hearts a home, to show love to another individual. They may have their own walls up. Or when we have our own hearts ready, there may be no one who's capable of receiving our love, uh, receiving that invitation to come into our own lives and to be able to love them. Or even if we do have people on either side, maybe their heart doesn't have the capacity to receive us to the full. Or maybe as we grow in our own love, maybe our heart does not have the capacity either. And so there, there are complications. So how do we, though, live this out? You know, sort of assuming that we are journeying towards a deeper healing in our own lives and uh, facing wounds, tearing down walls, and really wanting to be able to receive others and to give ourselves to others. Where can we do this with 100% certitude that not only will we be welcomed, but the individuals would be welcome into our own hearts. And I think the only sure place, the hearts of Jesus, his sacred heart, and of his mother, the Immaculate Heart of Mary. So we've already talked about them um, and their hearts. And so we're going to take this time today to maybe explore and reflect more on the nature of the two hearts of Jesus and his mother. Because, because of their sinlessness, because of their sanctity, and in a certain sense, because they both have their glorified bodies, they're always ready and able to receive, to welcome, not just one person, but everyone. Their hearts have this tremendous capacity. They're like endless mansions, um, able to welcome anyone who desires to enter. And maybe our issue that we feel shame, that we have our sin and we don't feel worthy, that Jesus and Mary are too holy. Um, but that's our own issue. That's never the issue of our Lord and Our Lady. Their hearts are always open. They're always pure. And it's always going to be our issue if we reject, we reject Jesus's mercy and Mary's love. I think of Mel Gibson's 2000 and four movie, The Passion of the Christ, seen after Peter denies knowing Jesus and Jesus looks at him. The shame that Peter feels, and so he runs away, not, not 
welcomed or embraced or welcomed or not feeling welcomed by the gaze of Christ. But that really powerful scene when he goes and he meets Mary and he's so filled with shame that he will not even let her, who's so compassionate and merciful, particularly expressed in that film uh, portrayed by Maria, Maya Morgenstern, uh, she won't, he won't even let her touch him. And so he runs away out of that great shame. But both Jesus and Mary always willing to receive us and to love us. And so as we find security, we find purity, we find a deeper identity, and we are better prepared to allow ourselves to enter into the homes of the hearts of Jesus and Mary. So let's begin today by focusing on Jesus's sacred heart. Now, of course, we know that we're talking about more than like Christ's physical heart or that, that picture of a, <coughs> a heart with, you know, fire coming out of it and, and, and thorns around it. The Christ heart is a symbol of the, the core of his being, of who he is, is both man and God, of his great burning love for us. But also, it's going to be important to remember that, that his sacred heart points to, or is a participation in, or maybe we should say reveals, the heart of the Father. Since the heart is something more than a physical, a physical organ here, we can say that we can come to know the Father's heart. And so just as Jesus is that icon, uh, or the image of the Father, he who has seen me has seen the Father, he who has encountered Christ's heart has encountered the heart of the Father. So Christ's heart not only reveals the, the, the Father's heart, but as we'll see is a gateway to that. And the key to really understanding this is the, the great Paschal mystery of Christ's pierced heart. And there are, of course, so many things written over the course of the history of the church and spirituality that talk about this great symbolism. Not only what comes forth from the heart, the blood and the water, which symbolizes the Eucharist and baptism, but the fact that now we are able to enter into the heart of Jesus because the wound remains on Easter whenever Jesus appears and Thomas is not there in doubt, so he appears again. Thomas is able to, to put his finger in his side. And the wound remains. If you go look uh, at Caravaggio's famous painting of the doubting Thomas, it sort of makes it so visceral and real. Thomas's finger inserted into this almost like this flap of flesh in our Lord's side. And so because that 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 rending of the flesh that, that pierces in the heart remains, then we can assume that there is still that hole in our Lord's heart, his physical heart, which becomes a symbol of something much greater. Now, of course, there are so many ways that we can pray about this and reflect on this to come to understand the meaning of our Lord's pierced heart. But I think from scriptural perspective, it's pretty clear. The Synoptic Gospels tell us that Whenever Jesus dies on the cross, um, the, the veil in front of the Holy of Holies in the temple is rent in two. So the Holy of Holies, of course, in the, the Jewish temple, 
was the, the place of God's presence. At one time, it contained the Ark of the Covenant, and it was only the, the high priest uh, who was able to enter into the Holy of Holies in order to offer sacrifice and to offer worship. But, but it's typical in, in Jewish tradition and in most religions, uh, the sacred, that which is sacred, is going to be veiled and hidden. And so the temple, when the earthquake happened, or whatever way the, the Gospels describe it, the temple veil was rent in two, thus exposing the Holy of Holies. So if Jesus' body is a temple, as he says, that uh, his body is a temple, will be torn down and raised again in three days, then that means that Jesus' sacred heart is the Holy of Holies. It's the center of his being. Not that, of course, God is only present there, but it becomes that rich symbol of the presence of God. And so in the same way, when his heart is pierced, it's that veil of his flesh that is torn open, that is rent, which enables us to, to look into the heart of Christ, to be able to perceive and to be able to peer upon the Holy of Holies. So it's not just what comes out, but it's our ability to go in. So now, because of the rending of that veil of the flesh, we have access to the Holy of Holies. We can enter into God's very presence. And of course, this is the, the purpose of Christ's sacrifice, to open the way and the path to God our Heavenly Father, giving us access to the Father's house, which is the kingdom of of heaven. And so that, 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 that pierced side of Jesus, his pierced heart, becomes the gateway to divinity, the gateway to the Father's house. So we can even say that because God resides there, that Jesus' heart, Jesus himself, is the Father's house in his very body. He's heaven come down on earth, as Pope Benedict talks about in uh, the first volume of Jesus of Nazareth. And throughout tradition and throughout history, there have been so many different words or phrases, uh, pious devotions to describe the Sacred Heart. But one of them that I think is the most beautiful is the refuge of sinners, that, that we can go there, that it is a place of holiness. It is a sacred place. It's a place where we can certainly experience and come to know God's presence, even in our sinfulness even in our sinfulness, that we shouldn't run away. We shouldn't say because we're weak, because we're fallen, because we're sinners, that we run away from the Sacred Heart, but we run to it, we enter into it, because it is a safe place. It's home, and uh, sort of we extend the symbolism here, that blood that comes in and out of the Sacred Heart and is purified, we can be purified, we can be oxygenated with the Spirit uh, and have our sins washed away. So often I see people who, um, who are in grave sin. And so out of that shame, they, they run in the opposite direction. And I always say that's kind of like being cold and you see a fire and you step away from the fire instead of going towards it. Yes, maybe you're afraid the fire is going to burn you, but the fire is going to warm you up. We do not need to be fearful of Jesus's heart as some sort of a torture chamber, some sort of a place where we are going to find judgment. No, it is a place of great mercy. It's the very fount of mercy. 
and therefore, like you know, the, the devotion to the divine mercy uh, is a, a sort of expression of the devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Um, that it is the fount of mercy, and that we should avail ourselves of this great mercy. And, and and when we go there, we not only find forgiveness of our sins, we find redemption, we find a gateway to the Father, and we can also find that rest and that peace that comes in, in entering into a home. The Sacred Heart is our home. Come to me, all you who are burdened, and I will give you rest. And so his heart becomes that place that we can enter into, that we can lean upon, and we should never let our own sinfulness uh, deter us from that. Now, granted, none of us are worthy, absolutely none of us are worthy, but we are still invited, and we enter into it. Uh, it opens the path to the Father's house, which is our true home, um, not of this earth, but of course, in the next life. So there's so much written about the Sacred Heart. I encourage you to, to dig up the encyclical Ariadus Aquas, which is, discusses that gift of the Sacred Heart, and to realize, particularly during this Easter season, that the Sacred Heart is, a, is an Easter, a Paschal devotion, because Jesus continues to have his wound in his heart in his resurrected body, and he contains the wounds, and that passage remains open. And so it's so appropriate during this Easter season to meditate upon the gift of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And of course, I think it's something that the sisters, the Carmelite sisters who are so devoted to the Sacred Heart, uh, will give a resounding affirmation to. But passing on to, from Jesus' Sacred Heart, I think it benefits us to spend some time meditating upon Mary's Immaculate Heart, that human heart which similar to Jesus's, was immaculate, was sinless. Uh, granted, it wasn't divine or infused with divinity, but it was sinless. She was conceived without sin, no tendency to sin, and remained sinless and pure for the entirety of her existence, which is something that we're going to talk a little bit more about, that importance of having purity of heart, for our ability to see God, but to have our homes clean and pure, to be able to receive people. And if it's polluted with sin and attachments to the flesh, particularly uh, sins of a sexual nature, uh, and that tendency to objectify people, it's going to be very difficult for individuals to feel safe in our hearts. And so we're not creating an inadequate, loving, and clean environment. Particularly, let's take some time to really further explore the mystery we talked about at the very beginning, the one that sort of propelled me to reflect upon this, the mystery of John and Mary being given to each other, that John takes Mary into his own home, into his own self, into his own heart, but after Peter and John go and encounter the empty tomb, which clearly is not a home for Jesus, it says that both the apostles returned to their homes. And I sort of made the argument or the reflection, possibly, that the gospel writer is talking about a return to Our Lady, a return to her heart as his own home. And it's something I've always really loved meditating upon. What, what, what life would have been like uh, of John as Mary's son? What 
what living with Mary could have taught him, and probably the reason that John's gospel is so deep and so spiritual, is not only because of his connection to Jesus and being the beloved disciple, but to the fact that he was able to live with Mary and to spend time drawing from her insights, uh, drawing from her memory of what Christ was like as a child and those deep spiritual intuitions that she would have had and been willing to share with him. But, but more than just like what he could have learned by asking her questions, just her example of living with her, seeing her demeanor, her joy, her desire to be with her son. But I think the biggest part of the formation is the fact that John lived in Mary's heart. Imagine for, for, for living with Our Lady uh, and being in her heart and in that very intimate way, how being loved by someone so pure would have changed John. And John, of course, was already pure, but it's something that we're going to explore a little bit later on, that when we are loved with a pure heart, when we are ushered into a welcome, into a home, a heart that is extremely pure, it's going to have an impact on us. We are going to be purified. We are going to be changed. And you can think of it. The people in your life who you know who have loved you well, the ones who have had the biggest and best hearts, um, who had the purest hearts, that their love for you, not necessarily what they said, not necessarily even what they did, but that simple relationship or being loved by them and welcomed into their heart had an impact on you, transforming and hopefully making you a greater desire for purity, and also purifying and expanding your own heart. I also, uh, this year is the year dedicated to St. Joseph, and so many people are making the consecration of St. Joseph. But if you think being loved by John, Mary, John was impacted, imagine Joseph. Joseph was already a just man. And we so often think of like Mary and Joseph as separate people. No, they were friends. They had a genuine, real love and affection for each other. And then, you know, always like to joke that, that Joseph, you know, was the patron saint of, of, of husbands. He was always in the wrong. Um, he was the only one who was sinful. But whenever he would have made a mistake, uh, potentially there was a, a desire or a tendency to shame himself. I mean, I lost Jesus. I was given one job and I lost him in the temple. How can I have done this wrong? Or, or the stress of having to care for them and bring them into Egypt taking his duty very seriously. Joseph possibly was tempted to be very hard on himself, but to come to know the mercy and love of Mary, that it's going to be okay, Joseph, I love you. How Joseph's heart, uh, which we know was pure and holy, was continuously transformed by finding, yes, a home in Mary's heart, but also a home in Jesus's heart. Living in that intimate communion is what made Joseph a saint, not just looking at their example, but being loved by them. That her heart, Jesus' heart, was a home for Joseph. But that's the, the, the reality of the, of the point when it comes to not only Jesus' heart and Mary's heart, when we allow ourselves to foster a devotion to the Sacred Heart and the Immaculate Heart, and we not just as some sort of abstract you know, organs that are floating out there, but really understanding and entering into their the depths of their lives, uh, allowing ourselves to be adopted by them, 
uh, to be brought into um, a deeper communion. Of course, we're getting adopted by the Father through the Son, but we can become adopted sons of Mary, entering into their heart and allowing ourselves to be loved by them. It's going to change us. And, as we'll explore, as we're changed and our, our hearts are purified, then when others into our own hearts, it's going to be something that impacts them. That we're going to be that, that channel, as it were, uh, for the love of Christ and the love of Mary. And so when we find home there, we are changed there is an impact as we continue to cultivate this devotion, not just reciting different novenas or litanies, but really entering into a deep relationship. And we're going to talk about how we do that a little bit later on in the retreat. It's a phrase that has been coming up to me a lot in my own prayer and in the spiritual direction that I do, the deep calling upon deep, uh, the depths of the sea calling on the further depths of the sea. Um, and that when we, our own hearts, encounter the depths of Christ's heart uh, in the Eucharist, in, in, in the Mass, in, his, in the Scripture, or whatever way we choose to encounter Christ's Sacred Heart, and of course in Our Lady's heart, our own heart, because of response to that deep, increases. Our capacity grows. Not only is our heart purified, but we're going to extend the, the metaphor of the, the, the house, the home, we have more rooms added on. Um, our heart becomes larger and greater capacity to love others as we learn to receive the love that comes from Christ. And so particularly, I think, you know, I know it's a struggle for us during this period of time where we cannot receive the gift of the Eucharist, but the Eucharist is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. And probably the best way that we can really encounter the home of Christ's heart is that encountering the sacrament of his love, the gift of the Eucharist, that when we receive it, we need to be praying that that reception of the gift constantly purifies and expands our own hearts to be able to receive the Lord better and to be able to receive others. But as our, our hearts are changed and our hearts are transformed, then guess what? We realize the blessing. We realize that we're chosen. And that we have a desire to share that with other people. It's the, the overflowing goodness that comes from being loved. For those who've been loved much, uh, shown much love, they will love more. For those who receive much mercy, they are going to give much more mercy to others. And, and so this, though, becomes a real beautiful mystery um, when we realize this. Our ability to love others, and particularly to love others with the hearts of Christ and of Mary. So that while we indeed dwell in the heart of Christ, and we can dwell in Mary's heart and, and find our homes there, is that God, Jesus, also desires to find a home in our hearts. So that is sort of we're given to Jesus, Jesus gives himself to us particularly in the Eucharist, but also in that gift of the sacrament of baptism. We believe, yes, indeed, we are purified from original sin. We become adopted sons and daughters of God. But we become a living tabernacles. It's that gift of the indwelling Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, through sacramental grace, 
come to dwell in our souls, to come to reside in our hearts. And so Paul says that we're temples and, and our bodies are temples. So we should res- have great reverence in the way we treat them and the way we treat the, the bodies of others. Because we've become a home. We've become a tabernacle for the very presence of God. And so this is something that should offer us consolation during this time when maybe we're not able to receive communion or able to go to church. It's something that the great Carmelite saint Elizabeth of the Trinity focused on. She focused on that indwelling of the Trinity, that her heart had become a home. She even uses the, the, the phrase Bethany, as we discussed, a place where Christ could rest and a place where others by coming into our own hearts, should be able to find Jesus. But Jesus, in being present there, the Trinity being present there, constantly purifying, expanding the capacity of our own hearts, is able to work through our hearts so that when we love others, and they allow themselves to be loved by us, it's really Christ loving them through us. So we become that channel of the peace of Christ. We become a channel of his love. So I talk about this all the time. Yeah, we want to receive the love of Christ directly, and we certainly can in prayer. We'll talk more about that. The main way that Christ wants to communicate his grace and love is mediated through his disciples. And so he does it through the sacraments, but he also does it through us. That when I love another, it's Christ loving through me because his presence is there in my heart because he's made a home there. But if Christ is loving us, loving others through us and welcoming others when they come into our hearts, it's really the Father, because he who has seen me has seen the Father, that Jesus becomes that image, that icon of the Father. So uh, this may sound kind of crazy. It's like those little Matryoshka dolls in Russia, you know, the ones, the bigger one, the smaller ones inside. And so you, you have, you know, the human heart there but is really nestled inside of Jesus' sacred heart, which is nestled inside um, of the, the larger the larger context, the larger uh, reality of the heart of the Father. And so that when we love others and when they come into our hearts, yes, they encounter the sacred heart of Jesus, but they also encounter the heart of the Father. That we need to be the Father to be the Father's love, to be the Father's uh, heart to the world. Now, how does this happen? You know, this is, again, all nice and pious, and it sounds wonderful. But how do we come to encounter the, the sacred heart of Christ? How do we come to encounter Mary's immaculate heart? Where do we make it our home? And the answer is going to be prayer. Prayer as a place where we enter into the heart of Christ, the heart of the Father, where we allow ourselves to find rest, where we allow ourselves to be loved, where we don't have to win attention, where we come knowing that the Father wants us to come into his home, that he delights in our very presence. And so we're going to talk more in our next talk about prayer and its connection to the home we find in the heart of Christ and and how in prayer, yes, that gift that's been given to us is fanned into flame so that we can share it with others. 
but how we really can sort of realign our understanding of what prayer is as something that we do or some responsibility we have or we're looking for some experience, but instead it is coming home to rest, to be with a father, to be with a friend, and to be recreated and restored. Uh, I talked about it in a retreat or a mission that I gave early this Lent, prayer as letting yourself be loved by God. And so as we enter into that home, we're allowing the Father to love us. We're allowing Christ to love us. And so what I'd like um, you to do for your homework um, before our next talk is, is to really take some time and meditate on Christ's heart as a home um, and what it's like in that home, uh, this peace and the safety there, and really asking our Lord to give us that desire to find rest in his heart. Also, secondly, to spend some time maybe going back and meditating on John's relationship with Mary, but about how being loved by Mary or maybe another individual in our own lives that loved us well, that we found a home in their heart that was very pure, how that transformed and changed our own hearts. And then finally, praying about you know, ways in our own lives to ask if we are conscious and aware that when we love others, our family and friends, that we are a channel of the Father's love to others. And how maybe if we do do that, uh, it might make us a little bit more open and willing and allowing the grace to flow better to be able to love others. And so that's the homework. We're going to come back a little bit later on today and really get into this more in a sort of practicality by looking at prayer as letting ourselves be loved by God in the heart of Christ, in the heart of the Father. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, or without end. Amen.